Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled, Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're still in a message entitled, All for One and One for All. This is continuing that thought that we're seeing in chapter 12. I'm going to pick up in verse 19 this morning. But let me go back and review a little bit. You know how I do. I've got to get a running start. But you've got to get in the flow of what he's saying. This is why so many people misinterpret the scriptures. They jump in, grab a verse, jump out. Instead of looking at the flow and the context of what's been said. The church of Corinth was in a spiritual mess. (laughs) That's about the best way you can say it. That's the nicest thing you can say about it. Why was it in a spiritual mess? Well, it was the best taught church in the whole New Testament. Did you know that? Paul was their teacher. Apollos had been their teacher. They understood grace like nobody understood it in their head. But the problem was, evidently, they had listened and been taught, but had never learned that that teaching was to lead them to a surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a result of this, they had attached themselves to preachers, they had attached themselves to everything but Christ, and and therefore they were upside down. And they absolutely did not understand the body of Christ, how it's the same spirit working in and through the body members that are all a part of one body, the body of Christ. They were so much era in the church of Corinth that they had started coveting each other's gifts. Can you imagine? This person saying, why did I get left out? He has that gift, I want that gift. And they begin to covet each other's ministries. They begin to covet the effects of those ministries. And we must conclude this. You say, Wayne, where do you get all this? We must conclude the fact not only that, but one of the things they were coveting were gifts like tongues. Anything that was more noticeable, they thought was more spiritual. Now, you've got to be asking the question, Wayne, how do you come up with stuff like that? My Bible doesn't say it explicitly like you're saying it. Well, one of the ways I've tried to teach you over the years I've been with you is to show you exactly how I study. When I make a statement, I come and show you how I arrived at that statement. Then you go to the Word, you check it out for yourselves. You see, the way Paul handles the whole subject in chapter 12 tells you everything about what's going on in the area. He picks the human body and the different members of the human body, the different function of those members, and then he compares the human body to the body of Christ to show the problem that's going on in Corinth. For instance, look at verse 13. He says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, the first thing he's going to do is lay the groundwork that there's only one body of Christ. 
There are the local churches wherever we are, but there's only one body of Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. And remember, that's with one spirit. With or by the means of one spirit, we are baptized into the body of Christ. That's salvation. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. It's the spirit of God, the same spirit that is nourishing me right now. It's the same spirit that nourishes you. We drink from one spirit. And we were baptized with that spirit into the body of Christ. There is no baptism of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. It's baptism with or by the means of the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. Once you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, meaning that He lives in you, now you drink from that Spirit. And we all nourish, we all drink from that one Spirit. Then by using the illustration of the human body, He shows how God has made us all different and gifted us different and we have different functions in the body. Verse 14, For the body is not one member, but many. And then He establishes the absurdity of one member being jealous of another member's function. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And then he's very crystal clear in verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? And then he drives his point home again that God has put the members into the body as he chooses. And by saying that, he also determines the functions of each member of that body. He says in verse 18, But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. Now listen, when the members of the body, when one member of the body does not function then it affects the whole of the body. And members of the body, the human body, as, a, as an illustration, as we said last time, I don't live for Haywood. I live for Christ, who is the head. But by living for Christ, that in turn makes me live for Haywood. In other words, the body does not live for itself. It lives for the head. The head of the body determines that. But as each member functions according to the head, then the whole body is functioning for one another. They're all for one, therefore they can be one for all. That's the way it works. So, in functioning for the head, we function for one another. We're all for one, Christ, therefore we can be one for all. Well, in verse 19, Paul begins to wrap up that first part of his, of his statements, and he says, if, if they were all one member, where would the body be? Now, you see the problem? See what he's addressing? He's addressing the fact, listen, you're different. You're different. And you're different. Why would you want his gift? Why would you want his gift? You have a function in the body, but you're in one body. He's made his point very, very clear. We all have our purpose. And when we stay connected to him, then we're not only fulfilling our purpose, but we're enabling others to fulfill their purpose. Now, he states his case one more time in verse 20, but now there are many members but one body. Now where in the world is he going with all this? Well today, he takes us another step. We inch a little further. Today we're going to see three things about the body. First of all, the need that we have for one another. Now remember, he's addressing the immature. It's tough. He's addressing people that have head knowledge but have never learned to respond to that. 
You know, they knew the, the message of grace, but they really didn't know it. Listen, truth in Scripture is not just learned by your head. It's learned as you live. The more you're willing to obey truth, the more you understand what it's saying. Even though you can understand it to a point and comprehend it when it's taught, that doesn't mean anything. It's got to get from the head 18 inches down to the heart. And this is so critical to see. These people are immature. They've got head knowledge but not heart knowledge. And therefore, they don't seem to understand how this whole thing works together. Watch how he develops his thought. You have to read the whole passage and then I'll go back and comment. Verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Verse 24. Whereas our seemly members have no need of it, but God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Now, the point that's being driven home here, what we've got to see is there's no room for arrogance in the body of Christ. Matter of fact, the, the purest list of gifts that I, I believe in my studies is in Romans chapter 12. When it begins to list the gifts there in the great flow, 11 chapters of the mercies of God, and then coming into chapter 12. But in verse 3 of chapter 12 it says, I say to you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That's the whole thing. The pride factor that gets into this kind of thing. And to understand that whatever gift we have, we are critical to the body of Christ. There's no room for any kind of arrogance. Just because the eye brings light into the body doesn't mean it can look with disdain upon the hand. Look again at verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. You see, the eye might see the attacker coming, but the hand is what fends off the attacker. The two have got to work together. Without the eye and without the hand, they both need each other. If you didn't have the hand, all of the eye could do was to seal its own fate. It could see what's coming, but could do nothing about it. The two work together. Then he confirms the analogy. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. The head holds the, the mind where the decisions are made. It's in the head where the beauty is, well, for a lot of people, but the beauty is, is there. But with the feet, do you, you know that they say, I was reading an article on a plane that, that said the ugliest part of the body, and I, I guess that's debatable because I've seen some pretty ugly parts of the body, but they are the feet. They say the feet are the most unseemingly part of the body. Well, here's the head. That's where you spend all your time in front of a mirror. That's where you put the makeup on and thank God you do. Paint the barn. But it, it, get, get, it, get as much cover on it as you can. The outer man is decaying. Hey, but the head carries the beauty. The head's where you think. But the feet, listen, the head makes the decisions, but it's the feet that carries you, carries out those decisions. So the two have got to be considered just as important. You can't say one is more important than the other. This is exactly what he's trying to get across. Now understand what's going on in Corinth. Don't forget all the messages that we've preached in chapter 12. So he shows how each member of the body of Christ, like members of our own body, desperately need each other. No one member can carry the whole function. It has a function, but there are other functions of the other members of the body. 
Now, I know, and I, from time to time, I'm going to bring in our situation where we are right now with my resignation and where we're headed. I know it caught a lot of people off guard. I understand that. But I want to tell you something, folks. For years, we have spent trying to build this church on the Word and upon Christ. Now, understand what Paul is saying in, in light of this context with the illustration I'm trying to give to you. Now is the time for us to realize how everybody needs everybody. The comment that, well, Wayne, one-third of the membership are going to leave just as soon as you walk outside the church. Is that right? Do you realize how we have just killed our whole testimony to Chattanooga and the people around if that takes place? Do you understand what I'm saying? That means that this church says that the gift Wayne has was more important than the gifts the others have, and therefore, since that gift is gone, we will not stay and function. We'll go someplace else. Now's a time for Paul to get across to us what he's saying to the Corinthian church. We've been well taught for all the years by many that have been in this pulpit, but folks, it's time to take what we know and put it into our lives. Each gift that's in here is critical to the future testimony of this church. Each one connected to Christ, not Wayne, connected to Christ, not Woodland Park, connected to Christ, letting Christ be seen in Woodland Park Baptist Church. What was happening in Corinth, you couldn't see Christ if you looked for him. Why? Because they weren't connected to him. Some were of Paul, some were of Apollos, some were of Cephas. And that's what caused the demise of the Corinthian church. You don't want that to happen here. And so we need to listen to what he's saying. Every gift is just as important as the other gift. One gift cannot stand alone. God has all the gifts of the body to accomplish the purposes of the head of that body. We need each other. And there's no such thing as a healthy body with selfish organs. Health is not seen in numbers. Health is seen in surrender to the head of the body of Christ. And when people are broken and surrendered to Him, broken of their own self-will, that's a healthy body. Because when we decreased then we're going to start seeing his increase in each of us. Well, we see then the need we have for each other. And Paul says, hey, the eye cannot look at the hand and say, ah, I don't need you. Yoo-hoo. I'm more important than you are. And the hand will say right back to it, yeah, as I said earlier, you saw the attacker coming, but it was me that stopped him from hurting you. So the two have got to work together. The head cannot look at the foot and say it that way. That's what was happening in Corinth. They were singling out certain gifts and saying they are the ones most necessary and they are the ones more spiritual. But the second thing he does here, he shows the era of some in the body of Christ. Now it's the tendency of our immature flesh to think of gifts that are more noticeable as being gifts that are more spiritual. That's the way our flesh is programmed. I mean, hey, there are the big shots in this world and there are the little shots. And when you see the big shots, everybody says, wow, has he ever made it? And nobody looks at the little person. Well, that's the way the world thinks. That's not the way God sees it at all. But it's the nature of our flesh that anything that is up front, anything that gathers the attention of others, that somehow that gift is more important than other gifts. Matter of fact, on the other end of that, if you happen to be one with a lesser gift in the sense of what the world says is lesser, we're going to show you it's not lesser like the gift of serving, the gift of mercy. If you happen to be one of those people, 
then you always walk around feeling inferior and wondering why God left you out. I wonder, I wonder today, how, many, how much of that really goes on in this congregation? How many people sit every Sunday and say, I didn't really get gifted and I'm really not useful in the body of Christ. Because my gift is not up front. My gift is not where others can see. We were at the International Congress on Revival several years ago in Europe. And I was with Bill Stafford and I was preaching on Romans 12. Now, in this different context and different way of teaching, looking at gifts than what 1 Corinthians does. But I was teaching out of, 1 of Romans 12. And as I was speaking, a little lady from Hungary, sitting four rows back, who's become a dear friend to us. It's amazing. She doesn't speak English and how, 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 how much of a friend she's become to Diana and I through an interpreter. <laughs> Those translators are important that we talked about in chapter 12. And so while we were over there, I was preaching through. She had her little earphones on, hearing in the Hungarian language. We had five different interpreters while, while I was preaching. And while I was preaching on gifts, she began to cry. And I could see her. It was very obvious from where I was standing that she was, something was going on in her life. I didn't know what it was. And tears just streaming down her face. And so I kept on preaching. When I finished, she came up. And at that time, I weighed a little bit more than I do right now. <laughs> and she tried to hug me and got to my sides anyway with both arms. And she said, Brother Wayne, through an interpreter, she said, while you were preaching, God so convicted me of something that's wrong in my life. And I'm thinking, what in the world? I was preaching on gifts. I said, what do you mean? She said, I've always disdained my own self. I've, I've always felt like I wasn't worthy. I always felt inferior in the body. My gift is not something that others appreciate half the time. My gift is the gift of mercy. And I love to go and help people and I love to do things. But nobody ever really sees what I do. And I felt like since I wasn't seen in the body, then somehow I wasn't important to the body. But she says, for the first time, I'm beginning to understand that I am critical to the body because it wasn't me that chose the gifts. It was God who chose to give me the gifts and he put me into the body. He gave me a purpose. He gave me a cause. And he, she said, I now understand that it was the reverse end of pride that I've had to confess while you're preaching. I wonder, do you go through that? Well, you see, the Apostle Paul is about to tell you if you have one of those gifts that the world would say would be inferior then you're going to have to look at it a different way because God sees it as much, much more than what the world sees it. Look at verse 22. On the contrary, he said, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are what? Are necessary. There's a key word here. It's the word seems to be. I, that caught my attention, that little phrase there. It's only one word. And it's the word dokeo in the Greek, D-O-K-E-O, dokeo. And dokeo is the word that has to do with how somebody thinks about something. It's more than just a random thought. It's an actual thought pattern. It's an attitude, I guess, it's shaped because of the way he thinks. It's used in Matthew 17 and verse 25. And when it says, when Jesus walked into a house, it said, when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? And, and I started to use other verses because it's over and over and over again. It means, how, how are you thinking? What's going through your mind at this particular point? What are your value system? How, how do you think? It's the way people think. You see, what we think when it comes to gifts and what God thinks, it's entirely two different things. And that's exactly what happens. So often the mindset of the world, like, like in Corinth, gets into the church. And without realizing it, you start looking at things in spiritual dimensions the way the world would see it rather than looking through it the way God would have us to see it. And the way God sees it and the way the world sees it are at the two ends of a pole. Man has a tendency to judge things in the exact opposite way 
in which God sees them. Now, just to give you an illustration and take it right out of its context and put it over here into another setting, maybe you can see this. Some of the things that, that come to us, it's, it's, it's amazing. Folks, I, I am learning something through this, and it is this. Wayne, keep your mouth shut. Do you realize that there's nothing that you've said to anybody that usually doesn't get back to the very person that you never wanted to hear? Isn't it amazing how words travel and statements travel? In the Philippines, I heard this on an email. And here's what it said. He said, many are thinking that, Wayne, you have lost your mind. You have stepped out into a world. You haven't counted the cost in what you're doing. Do you understand what you're doing? But they used that little phrase, you haven't counted the cost. That bothered me. I thought, what? What are they talking about? Do you mean to tell me I had to have all the ducks in a row? Do you mean to tell me that I had to figure out, let's see, now Wayne, where are you going to live and how are you going to pay for it and how are you going to do this and how are you going to handle insurance and how are you going to handle your retirement and how are you going to take care of Diana and how are you going to run your schedule before you make your choice? Is that what they're saying? Did you know what passage of Scripture they're using? Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and following. And I want to tell you something, folks. I'm not going to go to it right now. If we go there, we're going to get lost in it because this is just an illustration. But I want to share something with you. The truth of that passage is you count the cost. In every other area of life, you do count the cost. If you're going to build a house, you count the cost, and it's clear. If you're going to go into battle, you count the cost, and it's clear. But when you choose to be a bondservant of Christ and a disciple of Him, there is a clear-cut cost. And the cost is that every relationship in your life has got to come secondary to the relationship he demands in your life. The Lordship of Christ. If any man will come after me, he must hate his mother and father. <laughs> I was teaching that to a bunch of young people one time. And one of them said, hot dog, what's next? I got that down. No, didn't quite understand it. What he means is in comparison, Christ has got, listen, do you realize what we have done? We have taken an illustration and made it the truth. We have said that since you count the cost to build a house, then that means that when you walk by faith, you've got to have every duck in a row. You've got to have the money in your pocket or you can't do what's going on. That's ridiculous. The Apostle Paul never knew the next day where he was going to lay his head. But he did know something. He said, I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've entrusted unto him until that day. That's what he knew. The spiritual Zodiotis had to know the cost of a hospital in Thessalonica and have the money in hand before he built it. That, that hospital would have never been built. See, faith is not. The world thinks a certain way. And because it's business, they think that's God. And they drag it right into the Christian life. And folks, I want to tell you something. They do the same thing when it comes to gifts. Gifts that are seen. Gifts that are noticeable. Gifts that are emotional. Gifts that are, woo, I can't understand that. They must be the spiritual gifts because that's the way the world thinks. But God does not see it that way. Verse 22, I love what he says. On the contrary, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Note the phrase, it is much truer. The word much there, malon. Malon is a key word you need to understand. It's the word that means to a greater degree. It is so much more true 
It's amazing. Here are the Corinthians sitting there thinking, oh, I just need the gift of tongues. I need to have something here. I need to have the gift of teaching. I need to have, listen, this was their focus. You say, Wayne, you're reading into the text. No, I'm not. I've already looked at 13 and 14. I know where we're going. Because that's his whole argument. That's his whole focus. Why in the world would you single that gift out and say that makes you spiritual? See, that's what they were doing. They were thinking their way. That word malon is used in Matthew 6 and verse 26 when it says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? That's the word malon. Much more. In other words, I want to show you the contrast to the way they were thinking what was important and how much more the other things that they thought were unimportant were important. Matthew 7, 11, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall you have your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? How much more? Acts 5, 14, And all the more believers in the Lord. Romans 5, 9, much more than to a farther, much more, much greater extent. Paul is showing how in God's economy, those gifts that men, because of their immature flesh, think are spiritual, they're overlooking the ones that he much more sees as necessary to the body of Christ. The word for weaker here, when it says the weaker things that are deemed weaker, the word weaker is the word asthenis. Most of the time it means without strength. But here it has more the idea of those things that are unimpressive. Those gifts that are unnoticed. We tend to look right over them. We tend to look at the emotional, the ecstatic, this thing that makes, stirs up a crowd. That must be spiritual. You know, I've always been blessed when I've been in the service because I appreciate something. And I thank the Lord so many times on many occasions for the people that make this service go. Did you realize the only thing I know how to do in this service is turn those lights on right over here? If my microphone went out right now and there was nobody here, I have no idea how to work that soundboard. It looks like the cockpit of a 747 to me. I mean, you go up there sometime and look at it and it'll confuse you unless you know something about it. You're gonna say, whoa. But there's somebody running the sound right now. There, he has to put a tape in at a certain time. When somebody stands up to sing and you always get that feeling like, oh dear, it's awfully quiet. The person up there is having to make sure he's got the right tape, make sure it's cued to the right spot and he's got to hit it right at the right time. There are people in the lighting booth up here. In the second service, there are going to be people in the television booth. There are going to be people at the cameras. There are going to be people out in the parking lot telling people where they can or can't park and trying to get them in. There are going to be ushers out in the, out in the hallway. There are many people that make this service go. But oh, no, no, Wayne. It's you. It's you. You're the key one. Am I the key one? Paul says, listen, the ones that you have deemed unnecessary are far more essential than you've ever given them credit to be. That's the whole thing. You put your emphasis on certain gifts and you think those are the spiritual ones, you've missed the whole concept. If, if the giver gave them, then whatever he gives has got to be essential to the working of the body. We must learn to look at the gifts of the body of Christ as he does. Never take the gifts that seem to be unnecessary. Don't, don't overlook them. They're not weaker gifts. They're very essential to the body of Christ. Paul said it's these unnoticed gifts that are much more necessary. You know what the word necessary is? The word necessary means necessary, but it really means you can't live without them. You can't live without them. You've got to have them. 
And then the error then that immaturity causes is to recognize only the gifts that stir a crowd, only the gifts that have some sort of emotion to it that everybody's drawn to thinking that's got to be the Holy Spirit working in their life overlooking the fact that man by his flesh does not have the nature to serve. Man by his own flesh does not have the nature to have show mercy. Man by his flesh does not have the nature to love people unconditionally. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. But we tend to think that's not even important. Let's look over here, you see. By the way, if you want to watch the false doctrine that's on and around, help yourself. But I want you to do something for me. Be a Berean. Hey, listen, remember I've resigned. You can't fire me for saying this. There are three things I want to show you that they focus on. Three things. Three things. I've listened. I know. And I keep in touch. Number one, tongues. Number two, healing. Number three, miracles. Do you find the passages of forgiveness like in the book of Philemon when Paul said to the owner of the slave that had run away who's now a believer who's coming home, you forgive him as you were forgiven? Do you find that? Listen and listen and listen and see where you're going to hear it. You're not going to hear it because people that are immature and are of the flesh only focus on gifts that stir a crowd, show emotion, and, and some kind of appear to be ecstatic, and then they say, that must be of God, and overlook the ones that actually he thinks are the most necessary to the body of Christ. So the era that immaturity causes, you can see it in Corinth, what he's already dealt with. They focus on certain gifts as if that is spiritual. And they take the ones that are unimpressive, the ones that are unnoticed, and make them appear as if they're not even important. And he says, oh, no, no, to the contrary. To a much greater degree, they are absolutely, totally necessary to the body and the functioning of the body of Christ. Well, thirdly, the importance that we should give to the more unnoticed gifts. Why? We should do it, and what is that importance? We should give to the unnoticed gifts. Paul doesn't let up on the immature believers of Corinth. I mean, if you'll just follow this context through, he just bears in. He's, he's dug in now. <laughs> we used to have a cat when I was growing up named Alexander the Great. That cat was the most unworthy animal that ever lived. You know how I hate cats. I hate cats. You love cats? That's good. I know. What other quirk do you have? I hate cats. I hate cats. I hate cats. But we had one, Alexander the Great. I named him that just as a, as a, as a slur. I mean, I was, I was being sarcastic by my name for it. All he did was lay around and shed. You know, you, you call a dog, he'll answer. You call a cat, and he'll, he'll take your message and get back with you later. I mean, it's just not worth being around a cat. One day, the cat was out on the porch. We didn't have air conditioning in Roanoke. And uh, <laughs> next door was a boxer bulldog named Fritz. That's a good name for a boxer bulldog. That boxer bulldog had muscles running through its shoulders. It would walk around. It was a tough-looking dude. And I was watching a ball game one day during the summertime, baseball game, back when uh, Dizzy Dean and Pee Wee Reese used to. And as I was watching that thing, I heard a commotion on the front porch. And I'm thinking, what in the world? And I went out there, and Alexander the cat had met its Waterloo. I mean, Fritz had him cornered on our porch. And I couldn't help it. I've always been for the underdog and so undercat in this situation. So I, I started rooting for Alexander the Great. Come on, Alexander, do something. Show yourself worthy even in death. Do something. <laughs> and all of a sudden, that, that dog, that cat jumped on that dog and dug all the claws except for one into that dog's head. I mean, this had the dog around. Three, 
three paws had, that, had that, this wrapped around that dog's head. And the other one was loose. And it was going, whack, whack, whack. And that dog was trying to throw it off its head. Couldn't get it off its head. Just yelping and making. And that cat figured, hey, I'm in. I'm staying in. <laughs> I'm going to bear down. <laughs> this is it. So finally, he threw the cat off, but it took off. And I mean, he, that cat just tore that dog up. Well, the next day, the funniest thing happened. That dog would walk out, and it would get to our yard, and it would stop. <laughs> and walk this way and would not walk into our yard. And Alexander got off the, off the couch now. He's out in the front yard walking around. Hey, hey, bad boy, you want some more? Come on. <laughs> Gave him a little bit of self-image self, uh, there, I guess. But this idea of bearing down. I want you to understand what Paul is doing in this passage. He's got all three claws dug in and he's not about to let up. He's going to dig them all in now. He's got them down. It's like when you're wrestling with somebody when you're just growing up. And you're like, uncle, you know, cry uncle. I mean, you've got them down and he bears down on them. He says in verse 23, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, he's going to show them how you ought to treat them. On these we bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members have come to have more abundant seemliness. Now, Paul shows how it ought to be. And he won't give up. He's going to make them face the truth that they've got to face if they're going to see their error. Paul says that the members of the body that we take for granted and put no recognition to, these are the members that should be exalted. Now, he uses a term here that has the idea of crowning a runner at the end of a race. Look at this. On these we bestow more abundant honor. Now that word bestow, that whole phrase is important, but the word bestow is the word peri, P-E-R-I, and then the word tithemi. It means to place around something. Like when somebody has just won a race, you walk up and you put something around them to show the honor for having won that race. He says, now listen. That's the way you ought to treat the people who have these lesser gifts that you don't think are spiritual. You're chasing after these over here, but you've overlooked the ones that are absolutely necessary to the body of Christ. There's only one word that is translated as two words when it says, he says, bestow more abundance, one word. And it means the word that goes far greater, far beyond. Show them, show them honor, esteem them, because these are the gifts that are so critical to the body. Of Christ. You know what's killed most preachers in churches? Not me. I'm not leaving because of it's amazing. I have to watch everything I say now. People are going to say I'm, I'm reading into it. No, I'm not. But I go a lot of places. And what's killing pastors all over this country is that people have put so much emphasis on their teaching gift that they think that not only can they teach, but they should do everything else in the body of Christ. And if they would put as much emphasis on each person fulfilling, fulfilling their purpose within the church and each person seeing that serving and mercy and all these other lesser, more unnoticed gifts are given abundant honor, then you'd have pastors all over this country doing exactly what we've done and you've allowed me to do for the last 17 years. That's what's killing us. What does that? Flesh does that. Immaturity does that. They deem the wrong gifts. You see, a person who teaches doesn't need that because he already gets the recognition from what he does. So therefore, it would make sense that God would say, listen, give the recognition to the people who aren't getting it any other way. Let them understand how important they are to the function of the body. He says in verse 23, 
And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Look at verse 24. Whereas our seemly members, the ones that we see, have no need of it. <laughs> you see what you do? Everybody shifts and does what's already obvious instead of looking at the other gifts that are important in the body of Christ. Note the last part of the verse. But God, verse 24. But God has so composed the body giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks. Now there's a word here that we've got to look at. He composed the body. The word here is the word, it comes from two words. One is, is the word together, seen. We've talked about this word before. And the other word is the word mix. He has mixed together the body so as to give more importance to the one that the, the flesh would deem as unnecessary. Now let's look at this for a second. Just in the word itself is given a picture. There are two words for with in the Greek language, and I've told them to you before, especially back in Romans 6. I wonder if you remember them. One is the width of association. Do you know what that word is? Anybody remember? Meta. Meta. That's the width of association. When it's used, it simply means they're alongside each other. That's the way most people think of the body of Christ. Well, we're here. See you later. Meta means we're with each other on Sundays, but buddy, forget it the rest of the part of the week. I mean, we can leave at any time. But then there's the word seen. The word seen means to be intricately so woven together that you're one in that particular sense. Remember the illustration we used in Romans chapter 6 way a long time ago of the biscuit? You take ingredients for a biscuit and put it on a baking sheet, and you've got flour, and you've got salt, and you've got baking soda, and you've got all the other ingredients. And those ingredients on that baking sheet are with each other. And when they're with each other, the flour could look over at the baking soda and say, uh-huh, I'm more important than you are. Look how big a lump I am and look how, look how small a pile you are, see? Or look over at the salt and say, hey, salt, I'm more important than you are. You can do that when you use the word meta. But when you take all those ingredients, some a whole lot portion, some a small portion, and you put them together and mix them together into the form of a big old cat head biscuit, and you put it in the oven and you bake it, uh-huh. When it comes out of the oven, they're together. But they have been so mixed together, you can't separate one from the other. There's no way in the world the flour could look at the baking soda then and say, I'm more important than you are. Because now it's not interesting. The interest here is not in how big or how little you are. It's look, look what we've made coming together. Look at the oneness of the whole of the biscuit that we've made. That's the word it's used to. You really don't even have to explain that. I mean, it's clear as a bell. The, the, the body of Christ is the same way. When you put it together, God has so composed the body, it says. And so the little word seen tells us a word picture there. God gives abundant honor to that. How does he give abundant honor? Because he makes it such a part of the whole that you can't see the large from the small. It all blends together. And what you see is the whole. You see the body of Christ. You don't see each different piece of that body. Well, God gives abundant honor to what otherwise goes unnoticed. And why does he do it? To balance out the equation. Because the person with, who's up front has the gifts that stir the crowd, has the gifts that everybody sees, he already has all the notice he needs. But the other ones, they need to be brought up to par because it's all a one, it's all a function of the whole body, not just one gift. Verse 25, that there should be no division in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. No division in the body. What was going on in Corinth? 
Was there any division? Absolutely. In our context, we've studied that. So you see, you see what Paul is doing here? He's saying one of the marks of that division is in the fact you have singled out certain gifts and you call those people spiritual and you have coveted those gifts. Not only that, you have coveted their effect, you have coveted the ministry of those people who seem to have those gifts and you have completely misread and under, misunderstood the body because it's not the gift, it's the giver and the body of which the gift is a part. That's the focus of chapter 12. Well, I've shared this before but I think this morning, it's happened many times, but it's the best illustration I have. When I was in West Texas, I was in a church out there that was into the sign gifts. <laughs> and I'm laughing not because of that, but because they asked me to come and speak. I just think it's so funny where God chooses to put me from time to time. And I had no clue where I was. I didn't know what they did. It was an Episcopalian church. <laughs> Wayne, what are you doing? Hey, I love that. Cross-denominational lines is more fun for me than anything I do. And so the lady that was doing the singing, I honestly believe she's on drugs. I mean, it was like she went into La La Land and shut her eyes with a guitar, and I haven't heard yet what she said. And if it was spiritual, I'm the Pope. I mean, I thought, what in the world are we doing? I get up, and they have to put a pulpit in the middle because, you know, they have pulpits everywhere around there, but not in the middle. So they put a stand over in the middle for me since I came from that kind of background. And I started off saying... Jesus is the only well you ever need to drink from. You don't need a second blessing. You have the blesser. And I started off not knowing, not knowing that this was the leading church focusing on those three gifts I told you about a while ago in all of the state of Texas. Each time I noticed the people sitting there looking at me like, like I think their thought was, who asked you to come here? But on Saturday morning, they so responded. We had 450 people at 9 o'clock in the morning for two hours. When I finished, I started to walk out. They gave me a standing ovation. And a little lady chased me down in the parking lot. And when she chased me down in the parking lot, she was crying. And she said, Wayne, thank you, thank you. And I said, what did I do? And by the way, I never said these words. God just used it to say it to her heart. That's sometimes they confuse me with saying it when really the Holy Spirit said it. And she said, I've, I've tried to get the gift. She's talking about the, the speaking in tongues for years. She said, Wayne, they have brought me down and they have put, my, put a finger up under my chin and caused me to, to try to get me to speak in another language. All I had to do was make a sound and they kept doing it to try to give me another language. She said, Wayne, I'm the hardest case in this church. It never took. And she said, I go to bed at night thinking I didn't get it. I'm not important. I don't have enough faith. God doesn't love me like he loves these people. And she said, but this weekend I have learned I don't have to have that. I have the giver. And whatever he's given me is just as critically important to this church as any other thing that they put their emphasis upon. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying. You have singled out these things and you're zeroing in on them and you're making them the measure. And he said, I want to tell you something. The things that you've unnoticed, you go on and notice. The things that you think aren't even important, you better start giving abundant honor to because there is no balanced equation in the body of Christ when only one gift stares out at you. The body of Christ is healthy and right. When people look at it and don't see this gift or that gift, they look at it and they see Jesus manifested through the lives of the people of that church. So you see, the honor that needs to be given 
the recognition. Now, he's not, he's not imbalancing the equation. He's not saying go from this extreme and go over here to this extreme. That's not what he's saying. He's saying just balance it. The people that are out front already have the recognition, but start recognizing the importance of people with the gifts of serving and other gifts that go unnoticed. They're critical to the life of the church. So the need we have for each other, we need each other. The importance that we should or the error that some people make in the body of Christ, singling out certain things and saying that's spiritual. And then the importance that we should give to the gifts that go unnoticed. We were all baptized into the same body with the same spirit. And he's gifted me one way, he's gifted you one way. And we need to learn that when we function according to the head, people don't see this or that, they see the head, they see him. And when we function in the gift that God's given us, what that does, it helps others to function in the gift God's given them. And again, all glory goes back to Him. I tell you what, I hope that when the day comes that I am to leave, <laughs> you may say it sooner than I do, <laughs> but when the day comes that I am to leave, my prayer is, that you understand then what 17 years has meant here, that's the only time you're going to see what it was worth. Not now. Not now. Is it built on me or is it built on Christ? And if it's built on Christ and it's his body and all the gifts functioning cause him to be seen and he takes care of his own. That's what we've got to think because I don't think it's by any mistake we're where we are at this particular time, 1 Corinthians 12. Hey, I love you. It's going to be an interesting journey together. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org. 